All right, I am going to uh, do a little something to start. This past Wednesday, we had uh, uh, the recording of the educational, and I responded to an article that someone had given me the day before, and it was uh, basically talking about a new, a new updated version of the Bible, and I shared something on Wednesday about that, and you'll have to get the CD to listen to that, but that was for this past Wednesday. So then I was asked if, uh, or it was brought up that maybe I could say a little something, just give an example of where I'm coming from as far as, and this is what I titled it, Why? I preach from the authorized version, which is the King James Bible. Why I preach from that. And I've got two examples. Turn, in your, in your uh, pews there, there, there will be a King James Bible, and there will probably be an NIV. And if you want to turn, feel free to turn in, in the NIV, so you can see it for yourself, or you can just believe me what I'm saying right here. Oh, I have this right here. This is a NIV King James Version Parallel Bible. I bought this many, many years ago. First Timothy is where I'm at. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. So when I, when I bought this, I would read, because they're right beside each other in this parallel Bible, and I noticed, started noticing the differences. So in the King James it says, And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up into glory. The NIV says, Beyond all question, the mystery of godliness is great. He appeared in a body. See the difference? In the King James it says, God was manifest in the flesh. In the NIV it says, He appeared in a body. We are always making sure everybody understands that Jesus is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The Word, capital W Word, in John 1, go over to verse 14, and it said the Word was made flesh. Jesus was made flesh. God was made flesh. Now, you have Mormons who think that Jesus was a created God, then the Father is a God, and the Holy Spirit is a God. They separate. We teach that Jesus is God in the flesh. This Bible verse is one of the best places to take somebody to show them that Jesus is God. Now, most you'll blow right by this and never notice it for the most part, right? but I think that's something to pay attention to. It's just a little place in the Word of God that takes that away. 
because he could mean different things. But God was made flesh. Okay? In the ESV, the English Standard Version says he. The New American Standard Bible says he. The RSV says he. Now, the Amplified Bible says he, and then in brackets it says God. Because the Amplified, they say it all. (laughs) They say it all. I've got an Amplified, and it's very wore out. My mother-in-law gave me an Amplified Bible many, many years ago. And if I had it up here, I could show you how it's all worn out. I read it a lot. Uh, The New King James, it says God. And the Geneva Bible says God. Now, there are some versions that will say, instead of God, it'll say who, capital, who, or which. Okay? All right, now, on Wednesday, I made reference to a place where Jesus said something, and those words were just taken out of the Bible. So, if you will, if you would like, turn to Luke chapter 9. Luke chapter 9, I'd love for everybody to see this. If you have that NIV at the end of your pew and you can look in the NIV at Luke chapter 9, over in, that's a long chapter, we're all the way over in verses 54 and 56. What you'll notice is there's one little thing uh, at the end of verse 54 the NIV leaves out even as Elijah did, or Elias, Elias or Elijah, the same thing. But this is a story of uh, disciples of Jesus. They're with Jesus, and they have gone through Samaria, and they were not accepted in Samaria. And uh, James and John, where am I at? All right, James and John said... And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, wilt thou that we command fire to come down from heaven and consume them? And the part that's left, one of the parts that's left out is, even as Elias did, or Elijah. And then 55, but he turned and rebuked them. Now, in most new versions, that's where it ends, and then it picks back up with the last half of 56 that says, and they went to another village. So what's left out? And said, this is what Jesus said, Ye know not what manner of spirit ye are of, for the Son of Man is not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Does that concern you that that much of the Bible was taken out? Especially what Jesus actually said standing on this earth. I think that's very significant. Almost all new versions of the Bible lost the second half of 55 and the first half of 56. It is very important that we hear that when we judge people, when we say they need to be destroyed, that that bothers Jesus. Jesus said, I didn't come to destroy men. I didn't come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. You know how many people have died in the name of religion? Roman Catholicism killed 50 to 60 million people. That must have been missing out of their Bible. Sad. Okay.
That's why I preach from the King James. And that's just, this, I, I will do this probably on a weekly basis for who knows how long. And I'm going to show you all the places that I know of that things are, some of them are very subtle, but some, some of them, like that one, is very blatant. And you, you will see, I mean, I, you've already heard me talk about several places in the past, and we'll hit on those again, but I, I wanted this to be just a very short section at the beginning of the sermon, just to show you why. Now, be careful. Be careful. Don't take this as you got it figured out and other people don't. Don't have that attitude. If somebody's got, I don't care what version of the Bible, if they've got it and they're reading it, that's good. Don't act like you're better than anybody if you agree with what I'm saying. Just be confident that you do have the Word of God in your hand if you're holding an authorized version. Don't let anybody say, we don't have the Word of God today. Because the one I shared on Wednesday was Psalm 12, 6 and 7, if you want to write that down. Psalm 12, verses 6 and 7. God promised that He would preserve His Word forever. And if he did that, which I'm totally confident that he did, where is it? Do we have it? The devil showed up in the garden, and the first thing he did, you, you get to chapter 3 of Genesis, and the devil is already there, and his first thing he says, did God really say, did God really say that? God's holding back on you. He's, he's not wanting you to be like the gods and to know between good and evil and all those things. So doubt, if you have doubt in the Word of God, the devil can get you off course at any time. All right, now for the sermon. Y'all ready for the sermon? The, the title of, of today's sermon is, I'm, I'm, I'm really bad about making titles for stuff and following the way I'm supposed to, to do a sermon. So, but I did, I'm getting a little bit better. So the title of this sermon is, A Better Savior. Subtitle, wow, even got a subtitle, Learning to Enter into His Rest. I didn't tell Joy what to put on the front of the bulletin, but look what my very first verse is. All you got to do is look at the front of your bulletin. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God ended His work which He had made, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work which He had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it He had rested from all His work which God created and made. Now that rest, was God tired? I mean, that was a lot of stuff he did in those six days. Was he just wore plum out and he needed a day of rest? You know, man was created on the sixth day. He missed all the stuff that happened up to that. He was created, male and female, Adam and Eve. And the seventh day, the first day that they lived on this earth, it was all done. 
Everything was finished. Why did God rest? Because it was done. He had finished it. All Adam and Eve had to do was live in paradise. Now, in Hebrews, we're going to be in Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 3 and chapter 4 is our main text for today. And this may carry over to Wednesday night. (laughs) We're running out of time pretty quick. But this might carry over to Wednesday or next Sunday. Don't know for sure yet. In the Old Testament, everything had to do with a place. You hear that? In the Old Testament, everything had to do with a place. In the New Testament, everything has to do with a person. Capital P, person. See the difference? Learning to enter into His rest. Alright? One of my favorite Bible commentators is John Phillips. Y'all all know that. John Phillips knew a guy who went to Africa. As a missionary, are you hearing this? A missionary, imagine a missionary over in Africa, and he's on a backcountry road over in Africa. He's driving down the road in a pickup truck, and there's this African man walking down the road, and he's got this huge, you've seen it on TV, with this big old basket on top of their head, and they're carrying this huge load. Well, this missionary, he pulls up beside of them, and he said, Hey, would you like a ride? And the guy's like, great. So he gets up in the back of the pickup truck, and the missionary gets back in the truck, and he's going down the road, and he looks in the rearview mirror, and the guy's back there, down like this in the bed of the pickup truck, and he's still got that load over top of his head, and he's holding it. And the missionary's like, what is he doing? He pulls over, he gets out, and he said, why don't you set it down in the truck? And the African man said, I wasn't sure if this truck could carry me and my load. (laughs) Now you laugh, but look at how many Christians have a born-again experience and they're still carrying their load everywhere they go. Right? They're saying, but Jesus, I didn't know if you could carry me and all this baggage I have at the same time. I'm helping you out, Jesus. So you laugh, but so many of us are the same way. We don't understand that if we're in Jesus, if we're in His rest, He's carrying it all. And people say, but you don't understand all the sin from my past. You don't understand all the things that I've got in my life. And uh, think about the people who won't come to church. They they don't even have a born-again experience because they've got so much baggage and so much they're carrying, and they just can't see how Jesus can take it all from from them, and they won't even come here. And they're out there going, if if I get this taken care of, they would to them they, they're too embarrassed to walk into the church. It's like someone being sick with a, a disease and saying, Well, let me get better. And then I'll go to the doctor. But I don't want the doctor to see me in this state. You best get to the doctor first. Okay? Don't wait to get things right before you come to Jesus. Come to Jesus just the way you are. Do it today. Don't wait. 
you might not have tomorrow. He can carry the load. Okay? Jesus is willing and ready to carry your load. He just wants you to come to Him. Now, there there are several examples of rest that's talked about in our Bibles. We just talked about creation rest. Creation rest was something that Adam and Eve was to enter into. It didn't take long, and they lost it. Just talked about Satan showing up in chapter 3. That's another sermon coming up in the next few weeks. Losing that, the fall of man in the garden. But that also ushered in, when the law came about later, Moses, we all, we all know that in the Ten Commandments, says to remember the Sabbath day. It's a, it's a bunch of thou shalt not, thou shalt not, but on that one it says remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. And then it says thou shalt not work on that day. And that was something for the Jewish people, the nation of Israel, they were to enter into that rest. It was something special for them. And the Jewish people totally messed it up. Didn't they? I mean, the, the Sabbath was a very serious thing. It was so serious, in fact, that if a person was caught picking up sticks, that he might get stoned to death. And he did. That was just one example. They broke it from then on, and you don't see any other case where they were stoned to death, but God, when it's just like Ananias and Sapphira pretending like they brought all the money to the church, Barnabas had sold some land and he brought all the money in and laid it at the apostles' feet. And Ananias and Sapphira, they said, well, look at all the pat on the back and all the praise that he got. Maybe we should do that. We want to look uh, as godly as he is. And they sold a piece of land and they said they brought it all. And they dropped dead right in the church. Like three hours between each other. That's a long church service, isn't it? So Ananias came in and he said, is that all? Yeah, that's all the money. Oh, boom, he's dead. They carried him out, buried him. And then she came in later. I think it was three hours later. And they gave her a chance. Uh, did you give all the money? Yeah, that's what we did. Boom, she dies. Did that ever happen again? If the Holy Spirit killed everybody who told a little lie every time they came to the church, there would be no one here. We're all fallen sinners. We all do things that aren't quite right. But... My point is that when God implements something, it's a pretty drastic thing that happens in the Bible, so you'll remember it. And we should do that. We should be obedient. Now, getting back to that story, they didn't have to give it all. The problem was they said they did, but they really didn't. They were being hypocrites. Don't be a hypocrite. That's what we got to learn from that. Don't lie to the Holy Ghost. That's what we learned from that. Okay, I'm in uh, Hebrews. I'm going to go through chapter 3 as quick as I can. Um, chapter 3 is talking about how great Moses was, and have you considered our apostle, capital A, <coughs> and high priest, capital H, capital P, high priest of our profession, Christ Jesus. That's verse uh, one. Now, 
this is to the Hebrew people. This is the Hebrews. Now, I think Paul wrote this. You, you, anybody talking about Hebrews, they'll say the writer of Hebrews. I think it was Paul. So if I say Paul, that's the reason I say that. Okay, we don't really know 100% for sure if it was Paul, but I think it was. Now, he's, he's just making... The, the, I mean, think about how awesome Moses was to the nation of Israel. Moses was amazing. The writer of Hebrews, Paul, I think, he said, Jesus is even greater. Look at what Jesus did. He's our true apostle. Apostle means the sent one. And then the high priest is, is connecting us with God. And he's sitting at the right hand right now, and he is the reason, Jesus, that we can go directly to God. And then, uh, down in 7, Wherefore, as the Holy Ghost saith, Today, if ye will hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation in the day of temptation in the wilderness. Now, what is that talking about? The nation of Israel was offered rest in the promised land. They're, they're, they're hiking through the wilderness, the desert. From They've been set free, and being set free from Egypt, that you were in bondage to the world and to the devil. The Being taken out of Egypt is a type and picture of us being taken out of the world and out of the grips of, of Satan. We have been set free, and we're going to the promised land. That should be a real quick trip, but the nation of Israel turned it into a 40-year journey. Right? They were going to the promised land to enter into Canaan rest. So we got creation rest, and now we're looking at Canaan rest. And we also had covenant rest, which is for the nation of Israel, that they messed it up. That was just their Sabbath day. By the time Jesus shows up on this earth as a, as a human, you realize how many times he was accused of breaking the Sabbath? They had made the laws of, of keeping the Sabbath a burden, not a help. You know, we humans really mess things up, don't we? We, even in a, in a church setting, the simple gospel of Jesus, and we turn things into, we just did bylaws, church covenants, and all that stuff, and it's just words, pages after pages, you can't do this, you got to do that, blah, blah, all that stuff. It's because we're an organization, and we live in a, a world that is messed up, and we got to protect ourselves from the worldly things. Wouldn't it be nice if all we had to do is preach Christ and Him crucified? I heard the guys on uh, the Unashamed podcast the other day talking about that. Paul said, I, I come only to preach Christ and Him crucified. And people will say, well, there's a whole lot more to it than just that. And old Jace on the Unashamed podcast, he said, yeah, but if you don't get that part right, what good is the rest of it? Don't miss Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Don't miss that part. Because 
all the other things you do, if you miss that, it's under your own works. You know, talking about the Mormons and how they, how they uh, want to separate the gods, I didn't realize how messed up they were. I got a, I got a question this last week. Uh, give me some ammo because these Mormon guys keep bugging me every day. Give me some more ammo. And I got, I got a little book. Imagine that. I have a little book. And, I, and I, it was about Mormonism, and I went and I started reading through it. And I was like, wow. I knew they were messed up, but I didn't realize they were that messed up. They keep, they keep it a secret of what they really believe. When a Mormon smiles at you, comes up, and, and you say you are a Christian, you are a Methodist, Baptist, whatever, on the inside, they're not smiling. They think you are a lost person that just don't get it. And if they really shared what they believed, yeah, you'd be pretty offended. They're a works salvation. That's what, it, it, without those two guys in the white shirts and riding on the bicycles, whatever, that's to be saved. If they don't carry through with that missionary thing for two years, whatever they do, they're not going to be able to earn their salvation. They are a works salvation. So if you miss Jesus Christ and Him crucified, that's what you'll be. It'll be a work salvation. All the other stuff you will struggle and you will try and you'll never be satisfied because you've never learned how to enter Jesus' rest. All right, so Canaan rest. That day, that day of provocation, when the children of Israel provoked God. We talked about it this morning in Sunday school. We talked about in uh, Romans chapter 6. I might have to end on this. We're getting pretty close. Romans chapter 6. It, we're, in Sunday school, we're going through the book of Romans. Critical book to understand. When you get over to verses 9 and 10, it says... In verse 9 of of, uh, Romans 6, Knowing that Christ, being raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For in that he died, he died unto sin once, but in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Now in Exodus 17 is that story of the provocation. And that's the story, and y'all are very familiar with it, the story of the children of Israel being out in the desert and they're about to thirst to death. And they're, they're, they're fussing at Moses. And Moses, he goes to God and he says, God, these people are about to stone me to death because they're going to die of thirst out here in the desert. <clears throat> and what did God tell him to do? Take your rod, you know that one that you parted the Red Sea with, take that rod and go to the rock... Go to the rock of our salvation. I'll just throw that in there so that you'll have a better understanding of what that rock represented. Are you getting it? Told him to go to the rock. What is the rock? Go to uh, Psalm 95. The rock of our salvation. You can write that down. Psalm 95. And he said, 
In verse 6 of uh, Exodus 17, Behold, I will stand before thee there upon the rock in Horeb, and thou shalt smite the rock. Boom. Hit the rock with the staff, with the rod. And it'll bring forth waters. You know, the, the living waters will come out of there and literally save them from thirsting to death. Now, jump over to Numbers after many years of wandering. Numbers chapter 20. Same thing. The people started fussing to, to Moses and Aaron. They're about to die of thirst. And Moses goes to God again. And, God's, and, and the Lord spake unto Moses. <coughs> this is in verse 7, verse 8. Take the rod and gather thou the assembly together, thou and Aaron thy brother, and speak ye unto the rock before their eyes, and it shall give forth his water, and thou shalt bring forth to them water out of the rock, so thou shalt give the congregation and their beasts drink. But what did Moses do? He was instructed by God, to take the rod and to go to the rock and to speak to it, right? But what did he do? Now, there's two things he did that were really bad. The one says, and, and this is verse 10, and Moses and Aaron gathered the congregation together before the rock and said unto them, Here now, ye rebels, must we fetch you water out of this rock. Oh. It's, it would be like me going, all right, I'm going to save you. I'm going to give you this, uh, you say a sinner's prayer, and, and it's all about me, and I'm saving you from eternal damnation. No. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? Jesus is the one who saves. Each and every one of us can lead somebody to Jesus, but he's the one that does the saving. And notice that Moses, after saying that, not giving glory to God, he takes the rod, and what does he do? He hits the rock. He can't go into the promised land because of that. What's, what's so bad about hitting the rock? It worked the first time he did it. What did I just read out of Romans? Jesus died once to sin. Once. When Moses hit the rock the first time, that's Jesus being smitten. And dying on that cross, he gave us everlasting life. When Moses went to the rock the second time, he was instructed to speak to it because Jesus died once. He's not to be smitten again. He's at the right hand of the Father interceding for us. We can't crucify Christ again. We speak to Him. We ask Him through prayer to forgive us our sins, to help us to be our Savior, that we believe that He is the Son of God. We speak to Him. That's all we got to do is speak to Him. So, your works, bad. Quit trying to get saved and go to God through Jesus Christ. You can get to Him and you just speak, because Christ will not be smitten again.
That brings us to, if you understand that, that brings us to the true rest. There yet remaineth a rest for the people of God. I haven't read hardly any of Hebrews yet. So, Calvary rest. That's what I'm trying to point you to. That's what I want you to see. God wants you to see Calvary and all the rest, the, the, the seventh day rest, and the entering into the promised land. Joshua was trying to take the people into the promised land. Moses couldn't do it. Why? Because Moses hit the rock instead of speaking to it. Moses represented the law. And you can't get saved by the law. It only points you in the right direction. We need our Joshua, which is Jesus, to take us through the Jordan into the promised land. Moses can't do it because Moses represents the law. The law has its purpose. We study it. We read it. It points us to Jesus. And when we get to the Jordan, the law can't take us over. Only Jesus can. Our Joshua is Jesus taking us into the promised land. That is Calvary rest. Now, even Joshua messed up. You go back and read the story. Joshua did things wrong, and there were enemies left in the land that was a constant sore for the nation of Israel for the rest of their days. Because he didn't, he wasn't perfectly obedient. King David, he tried. He he messed up. Solomon. As brilliant as he was, nobody liked him in wisdom, yet he married all those foreign princesses. And he was okay with them setting up their their false god temples, and he even helped them build them. Solomon messed up bad, which led to all the captivities of of the nation of Israel. Leaders of nations need to have a spiritual person that they can look to. King Saul messed up because he didn't listen to Samuel. David messed up because he didn't listen to his spiritual people in his life. And Nathan ended up coming to him and setting it straight. And then David realized that he had messed up so bad. We need to enter into Calvary rest. Calvary rest. You know, uh, there's a story about D.L. Moody. D.L. Moody was he, he awesome man of God. I think he was like a shoe salesman or something, and he ended up being this awesome man of God. D.L. Moody was having this big crusade, and it was a big event where there... Kind of like a, what you would think of as a Billy Graham crusade today, or oil, not today, but you know, not that long ago. But D.L. Moody, they, they had ended the big crusade, and they were taking all the chairs out of the way. They were tearing down the platform, and some guy comes up and hollering, Mr. Moody, Mr. Moody, what must I do to be saved? And Moody just turned and looked at him and said, you're too late. How would you feel if, if somebody come busting in here and is like, what, what must I do? To be, I'm sorry, we're, our service is about over. Come back some other time. Moody said, you're too late. And the guy said, uh, surely I'm not too late. And he said, Moody's like, yeah, you're too late. You're 2,000 years too late. If you want to do something about it, 
You missed it. it Jesus did it all 2,000 years ago. And he pointed them to Christ and Calvary Rest. You ever heard of George Mueller? George Mueller was in England. He's the one that, that, that uh, built all those orphanages. There were several orphanages that George Mueller... I, I read about George Mueller many years ago, and I, I love the guy. He never had anything. He never had anything. He never, I don't think he ever had a house. He had nothing to, to show off. He, look at what I got. Back in the late 1800s, uh, he was from Bristol, England, and he built all these orphanages. They say that seven and a half million dollars, and this is in the 1800s, the late 1800s, if I remember right. Can you imagine what kind of money that would be in today's money? But seven and a half million dollars funneled through his ministry. He never kept a dime of it for himself. It all went into building orphanages and, and schools, they estimate that 10,000 orphans were taken in by him, educated and trained up and went into the workforce as, as contributing citizens of England. What would have happened to all those orphans back then? Back then, being an orphan was a really bad deal. You would end up and not such a good situation as you grew up in that. But because of what he did, he helped all those kids. That's why I say that you know, Wednesday night, Kingdom Kids, is the most important outreach that we can do. It's critical that we take it very seriously and that we pray for that. And we need to get out and, and minister to, to children so that they'll go the right way. But George Mueller, <clears throat> after build, having all those orphanages built and all those people, it, when, when he died, he died, I think he was 93, but when he was 70, he decided to become a missionary. Actually, he wanted to be a missionary way before. So he... <clears throat> he but the, the, back then, you had to apply to be a missionary, and they would... Uh, nah. And they turned him down. They turned him down several times to be a missionary. He just didn't have quite what it takes to be a missionary. God had other plans for him. If he would have been accepted as a missionary back then, he wouldn't have built, built all those orphanages. I mean, there's the one famous story of George Builder. They had nothing to feed the kids. And he prayed. He, he said, okay, get your plate. Don't come in here and pray without your plate and your fork. Because we're getting ready to pray that God will feed us. And if you didn't bring your plate with you, you, you didn't have enough faith. And they prayed, and then after they prayed, somebody came to the door, and they had all this leftover food from something, and they brought it. Could you use it? We thought maybe you could use it here at the orphanage. And he went, we were expecting you. And they brought all the food and fed everybody. That's the kind of things that happened with him. All right, so he was, maybe he thought, well, I'm a failure as a missionary. I can, they won't accept me. But look at what he did. And then when he was 70, he was accepted to be a missionary. And he was a missionary from the time he was 70, and he died when he was 93. He traveled to the United States, all through Europe. He went to Australia. He spoke over 6,000 times. 
How in the world could somebody like that live such a busy life? How could he do it? And take it all the way to 93 years old. Because he knew how to enter Calvary Rest. Think of the people that you know that will say, I can't do that because of this. I can't do that. I, I got this thing I'm working on. You know, I, it's, it's a struggle. It's the, think of all the people who try to, <clears throat> and I hate this. When I hear people say, well, Paul said I die daily. It, it's, it's their excuse. Or you ask somebody to, to do something for God, and they say, well, I'm not called to do that. I'm not, that's not my calling. Do it anyway. Do it anyway. That's just excuse. It's not my calling. And the people say, Paul said, I die daily, has nothing to do with struggling with some sins. Read it for yourself. I think it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15. just popped in my head. It's a 20-some word verse that people only quote three words, I die daily. He was talking about literally fighting against beasts at Ephesus, I don't know what he hit him over the head with. Maybe he had a Bible or something, but he fought beast. He put his life on the line every single day to minister. That's what he meant by that. It has nothing to do with, try, get with, with the devotions and the readings and all the stuff. Think of the people who use that excuse and they never get to doing what God has called them to do. So many people that I have known... They struggle with themselves. They're focused on their flesh and all the problems their flesh causes them and all the excuses that the world gives them to not do anything to God for God. And they live their whole life with those excuses when they need to enter into the rest and be a... I'm not asking you to be a George Mueller. I don't expect it of me, but we can at least do way more than what we've done if we enter into Calvary rest. And George Mueller went on at 93 into the ultimate rest, eternal rest. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Father, we thank you for your word and the Holy Spirit, the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And Father, we thank you for your rest. And Father, I pray that we will learn how to enter into it. Thank you, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.